Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Look out. It's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a garment wearer, and I love film. As Mother Teresa once said, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. The same with film. If you assume 45 years is going to be boring, you'll never see one of the greatest films ever made. Preach, Mother Teresa. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Barry Jenkins, Jamila Jamil, Sharon Stone, and even Cled Plambles. But this week is the brilliant writer and podcaster, Sarah Marshall. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for an extra 15 minutes of chat secrets, beginnings and openings. They can get the whole episode uncut and ad-free and as a video. Check that out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. So, Sarah Marshall is a writer and podcaster. She has an incredible podcast called You're Wrong About, which if you haven't heard, you must listen to. It takes things you thought you knew from cultural history and fills you in on the stuff you didn't know and makes you see things in a whole new light. It's funny, it's interesting, and it is genuinely profound. I was very excited to talk to her. We recorded this on Zoom. We'd never met before. We had a very lovely time. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 209 of Films to be Buried with. and welcome to Films to be Buried with. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I'm joined today by a writer, a podcaster, a journalist, a historian, a writer of wrongs, a Captain America for our America, a Portlandia, and a human person. Please welcome to the show a legend and a hero. It's Sarah Marshall! Thank you. That was amazing. God, oh, I just welcome. saw, this is not a big spoiler. I just saw the new Doctor Strange movie where we have like alternate universe, like it, Captain mm-hmm. Britannica. I don't think that's what she called. <laughs> she's called, but it's Peggy Carter with a big Union Jack on. Um, oh, so that's my mental image for that, that intro. And I encourage <laughs> everyone to share it if they want. <laughs> that's very cool. How are you? You were just telling me and I said, hang on, you're going to have to tell me on the pod. You yeah. have to tell me on the pod this. You're living in Portland. Now, for those who don't know Portland, and I don't, but what I do know is where all the cool kids live now. Tell us. <laughs> Some of us live here. Yeah, to be clear, there are two Portlands. I mean, there's probably another smaller one, but two that I know of. There's Portland, Maine and Portland, Oregon, which was named after Portland, Maine. And I remember when I was younger, I would say I was from Portland and people would say, oh, you're from Maine. And I was like, no, I'm from the other one. And I think Portland, Oregon has become the main one in the last or the primary one uh, in the last 10 years. And yeah, I was just saying that I live in a neighborhood that has something. I'm sure this exists elsewhere, but I haven't seen it anywhere else. We have a few, quote, lingerie modeling businesses. And my understanding of this is that no one is going there to buy lingerie. It's just just 100% lap dances. Um, it's like you have a little bit of space. You don't have enough real estate for a, a stage or anything. It's just a fully lap dance business. And then I also live close to actually, I think, a couple of different monasteries. So it's a wonderful town. Oh, it's all happening there. 
It's all happening. <laughs> so hang on. I mean, it's a lingerie shop. What, you go in in the day, you pretend to go buying lingerie, but you're going in for one lap dance in a dressing room, in a changing room. So as the host of a fact-finding podcast, mm. I have to state clearly that, like, I have not gone inside. I haven't patronized these businesses. Like, anything could be going on, but I suspect, right. and I have pieced together from Yelp reviews, that it's there's no lingerie for sale at all. Like, this is, like, a euphemism. My theory is that a, like one business and i think it might have been i think it's called honeysuckles mm -hmm. came up with this term first and they were like lingerie modeling that's how we're going to explain that's like the euphemism for like some gals in an intimate context wearing a you know a, a sexy little outfit um and all that follows from that and that other businesses copied this again is my theory but i mean this this conversation is making me realize i need to just go in on this question you need to do an entire episode on it yeah you do for those who don't know you're most famous for if i may oh who knows it's certainly sure. to me for your podcast you're wrong about if anyone has not listened to it it's very very excellent and it is about you well you can tell us tell tell the people who don't know how you would pitch that podcast and then i want to talk to you about why and how because it's very very brilliant thank you i mean i feel like it's something that encapsulates it well is that before I did this show, I would often, when I was a freelance writer, try to pitch um, stories based on this idea of like, what if we revisited something that was a major media sensation and just like caught up with it? We're just like, hey, like, what was that all about? What does it look like now if we look at it now? And I remember pitching Baby Fisher and also a case that I think was known as Baby M. It's been a while since I looked at it, but it was kind of the moment when surrogacy, I think, as a phenomenon became national news to Americans. And in pitching those stories and a lot of others, the response I tended to get was like, this would be worth talking about if you had like a new interview with Amy Fisher. Like if you could go mm. like be like, here's what Amy Fisher says now. But like, there's nothing really like I think the calculus that editors are always trying to do is some kind of balance between what they care about, what they think it's important for their publication or for journalism to be doing. And then the question of like, will people click on this, which I assume is not that different from the old question of like, will people see this headline and want to pick up this newspaper and buy it? And the calculus people were doing then was like, there's not an appetite for revisiting news stories from the 90s if there isn't some like bombshell new twist that you're getting from a new interview with someone who was part of it. And I feel like now most of TV is doing that. So I do yeah, feel like I have true. been proven right. You're way ahead. Well, I listened to the, to the, the, the one that I'd started on was the Tom Cruise cipher one, which is like a really small thing but it's so brilliant and how you structure it it's like it's almost like a detective story and it's profound it's profound because you go here's the story that you know here's everything you remember and then here's the truth and here's a tiny detail that you didn't know that changes everything and it's you know it's like it's pretty profound what you're doing it is to, it is that whole thing of there's four versions of the the story mm. your version their version the truth and what really happened <laughs> and I feel like you're doing number four, or at least attempting to. That's the goal. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the Tom Cruise on the sofa one is such a great example, because like, in order to talk about that, we have to talk about what technology existed at the time, mm -hmm. and how this was in this little moment in history when we could all know that that had happened, we could very widely circulate images or like little bits of the clip. But generally, people saw it in still images that went around, is I think how a lot of people remember it, because it was just slightly before that would have gone viral as a YouTube video or a TikTok. Yeah, yeah. And it's context. Everything is context, always. And that's so, it's context and presentation. I don't know. It's really, really, you're really, you're really up to something. <laughs> and, uh, I think... Like I was even watching a video today and it was a nice video, like popped up on my Instagram. It was very lovely. And it was a rescue dog with their owner. And it was like day two of this rescue dog with the owner. The rescue dog was just hugging the owner. It was really, really like a lovely minute video. But the video also had classical music on it and it was edited and it was like a compilation. And I'm not saying that that isn't what happened and that may have been the feeling of the thing, but I was like, I'm watching this lovely thing, but I'm also watching this 
tailored, edited, mm. lovely thing that isn't showing the dog pissing and shitting and isn't, you know, whatever, that isn't showing right. me the whole story. It's showing me what, what the person wants me to see, which is, here's this lovely, beautiful thing. It's storytelling. Everyone is just telling a story and you yeah. leave out what you want to leave out. Right. And there, and there's, and that can be very sinister and it can also be just completely innocent. Cause yeah, I think that's just how humans ab- absorb and convey information. Mm. What made you so obsessed with all this? Hmm. Do you know? Is there a, is there an inciting incident in your life? I mean, I'm definitely have always been the kind of person who has been like really bothered by inaccuracy. Um, and I yeah. think I really softened about this over time, weirdly considering the path that history has taken in the last few years. But I I think actually making the show has allowed me to understand that like whenever anyone is trying to tell the truth, they are by definition telling their truth. And Mm. many things, there are so many things that we will sincerely believe happened because that's the best that we can access it or that's what feels true. Um, And also my memory has gotten worse as I've gotten older. I think Mm. kids have incredibly good memories, or at least I had a fantastic memory and now I don't. (laughs) Interesting. But I think, I mean, what's funny is that the first media sensation I can really remember clearly, it wasn't about a person. It was about Keiko the Orca um, who came to live on the Oregon coast, on the Oregon coast aquarium, after the events of Free Willy essentially predicted what was going to happen in his actual life. Do you know, do you know that story? No, I don't know that story. It was so fascinating. I mean, have you seen have you seen Free Willy? I have seen Free Willy. It's a beautiful <laughs> film with Mr. Blood from Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Exactly. And co-starring with an orca and and so Free Willy is uh, was also filmed in Oregon. Um, it was filmed as a few movies were at the time in this sort of magical, mystical geography where you're in Astoria and then you're in Portland and then you're in Astoria again and you've just been walking around, um, <laughs> which would be so great. And it's about a boy who befriends an orca. And so in order to cast an orca, they cast this orca named Keiko, who lived in a pretty small, like not adequate to his needs tank um, at an amusement park in, I want to say Baja, California. Again, that's my best guess. But like, I'm almost positive it was somewhere in Mexico. And they filmed the movie, they filmed the Keiko scenes at the, I think, entirely at the water park where he lived. And then after it came out, everybody loved it. The little boy frees the whale, the whale swims back out to sea and finds his pod. I guess he's not a whale, but you know, he's an orca. See, I'm just make. if I had heard myself at eight years old calling an orca a whale, I would have been very angry. And now as I'm saying that, I'm like, but are they a whale? They're related to <laughs> dolphins, right? I guess... The point is that nobody knows anything and we're all doing our best. But anyway, he's reunited with his family. And then the movie came out and everyone was like, okay, that, wow, what a great movie. I'm very inspired. What, what happened to the, the whale, to the orca who played Free Willy? What's, what's his situation? And it was like, oh yeah, he's living in (laughs) an inadequate tank for his needs, just like in the movie before he was rescued by the little boy. And so it became... Um, just this years-long media saga that first he was moved to the Oregon Coast Aquarium and became this fantastic tourism draw for the aquarium and for the area, um, and then eventually was moved to Iceland and reintroduced to the to the wild. But when I was in second grade, we went to see Keiko at the aquarium, and it was my first experience of celebrity. And I think I always knew that, like that that always stuck with me because it was just so weird and i remember my own personal response was like everyone is looking at this orca and so i am going to ignore keiko because that fits some kind of weird kid logic need that i have to be unique or to be different or you you were trying to stand out from keiko you wanted keiko to go hang on why is why is she not into me i must talk to her i think that's what i wanted right i think i wanted keiko you were like negging keiko to, yes, I think I was negging Keiko. And it was like, even now, and I think even at the time, I was like, what a weird, what just happened to me around this famous <laughs> mammal? <laughs> Did it work? Did Keiko start swimming over to your side of the tank? Like, talk to me. I don't, I don't think so. I think that mm. my ploy didn't work, you know, but that was my first understanding of the fact that celebrity does really, really weird things to people. <laughs> um. 
Sarah, mm-hmm. I've forgotten to tell you something. And actually, mm-hmm. God, I should probably have like, I should have told you this earlier. Fuck. I think you're going to be annoyed, actually. You've died. You're dead. Oh, yeah. Are you okay with that? I, I thought this might happen. You know, it's okay. Yeah? How did you die? I mean, I've always assumed it would be vending machine death. Um, <laughs> what? Arm stuck inside vending machine and, and have to cut it off like 147 hours? Or just like it falls straight on you. Just right? falls on you. Because you're shaking it because the thing got stuck? Yeah, because I was at the airport and I wanted the one thing I wanted was gummy worms. And then that stuck in the thing. So, yeah. But it was quick and, um, you know, no regrets. Were there lots of people around or was it a busy airport? Why am I picturing this happening at the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport? I guess because I'm going there soon. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, like, busy airport. But, like, that's a nice airport to die in. It's not too chaotic. It's, like, nicely appointed. People are polite. You're you're not like fully enraged before you get crushed by a vending machine. Uh, all for gummy worms. Do you worry about death all the time? <laughs> Talk to me. You've come to the right place. I mean, my worry, the main thing I worry about at this point, honestly, is that time feels like it's moving faster. Mm-hmm. And what I've heard is that it will keep feeling like it's moving faster as you get older and older. So yes. like, what if I live a very long life and I feel like I'm only, you know, like say I get to live until I'm 85 and I'm 34. So say I'm like only, I can't do math, but like I'm less than halfway through. What if the remaining 50 years actually only feel like 20? Like that's the thing that most freaks oh, me God, out. God, I've never thought about that. Sorry. Oh, you've added that <laughs> to the list. <laughs> oh, so although you're not halfway you sort of are over halfway because time is spe- speed of time is increasing. And then I feel Christ. like the solution to that is like you have to learn mindfulness because I think time yeah. rushes by. If like if you let the minutes rush by, then the days will. But then like yeah, so it's literally like death versus my YouTube habit, which is a weird situation. <sighs> Christ, well, <laughs> you've done it this time. You've really done it this time. I'm so sorry. Uh, what, what do you think? What do you think happens when you die? <laughs> it's weird. It's so hard to imagine because I I tend to assume that I won't have consciousness. So it's hard to imagine a lack of consciousness. Like I do the cliche thing of imagining just like darkness. But like when you go to sleep, you don't. It's only dark until you're asleep. Mm. I don't know. I think that's part of the freaky thing of it is that there's, as far as I can tell, there's nothing that's remotely like it in our lives. Well, maybe sleep is a bit like it. I can see that. Sleep's fucking weird. I mean, it's fucking weird that we sleep and it's fucking weird what happens when we sleep. It's fucking weird. It is really weird. We don't reflect on this enough. It's really weird that we literally just like, like the needs of a human being are incredible. I was just thinking this Mm. morning, I was like, wait, I'm hungry now. I just made dinner last night and I'm hungry (laughs) again. I have to feed myself again. Um, Constantly have to be fed. Constantly have to switch yourself off. It's ma- it is mad. You have to find a safe place to power down so that yeah. like a place where no one will attack you while you're unconscious. Like, you know, really, you have to know where that's going to be every 12 to 24 hours or you're, you know, like that's very high maintenance. Yeah. And kids are fucking stupid for ages. Babies don't walk for ages. I mean, we're quite rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Compared to an orca, yeah. It's embarrassing. Yeah, compared to Taiko, what's her name? Keiko? Keiko, yeah. Which I always remember because when this field trip was happening, my dad, who's Australian, would say, Keiko, you're going to see cake hole. And I was like, no, <laughs> Keiko. Keiko, and this time I'm going to ignore her so much. I'm going to st- I'm not even going to see her. And yeah. then she'll know. Then she'll know I was the special one. I'm just going to stay in the gift shop. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, I've got news for you. There's an afterlife and it isn't actually like when you sleep. It's more like heaven and it's filled with your favourite thing. What's your favourite thing? Movies, of course. Okay. Well, it's made out of uh, those VHS, uh, sort of Disney VHS cases that used Mm -hmm. to get that were quite thick and sort of plush. Warner Home Video as well. Yeah, exactly. Like quite bouncy, like plastic. And the chairs are made out, the walls are made of that and there's screening rooms everywhere celluloid you know like that word clip that pops up on microsoft there's people walking around but they're like just cans of celluloid anyway everyone's really happy to see you they're really excited and 
They want to talk about your life, but they want to talk about your life through film. First thing they want to know is, first question they have, what's the first film that you, Sarah Marshall, remember seeing? This is such a funny one to try and answer because I have to try and think about it chronologically. Like, I know the first movie I saw in a theater was Beauty and the Beast, but I don't remember it. But what I do remember is my parents watching Batman Returns, um, which had to have been in 1994. And I remember it so well because I was terrified by the scene where Selena turns into Catwoman. So I think that's yeah. the first one. Uh, you watched that at home? Mm-hmm. What? You've, I mean, you've, you've started with two of my favorite films, Beauty and the Beast and Batman Returns. That is two absolute bangers. Wow. It was a good time for movies in, in many ways. Yeah. Are, are you an only child, may I ask? Yeah. <laughs> are you, are you, okay. So you wandered in, your mum and dad were watching Batman Returns. And you were frightened by the cat. I think my parents just would let me watch whatever they happened to have on. Because I also remember watching the piano when I was extremely young. And I think they were just like, she won't pay attention. (laughs) I think they thought it was like having the dog in the room when you're watching the piano. Um, But I saw everything. (laughs) Yeah, that's it's a hardcore film. Fingers get chopped off. There's sex. Yeah. Lots of bums. Penises. (laughs) Penises, all sorts going on in that. And a piano. Harvey Keitel, who I continue to find attractive, so I feel yes. like I, there might have been some imprinting. Nothing wrong with him. Mm-hmm. Batman Returns is the best Batman. Agreed? I agree. On all fronts? Yeah. yeah. And it's also such a great Christmas movie. Great Christmas movie. Everyone is doing peak performances. Michelle Pfeiffer, off the scale. Danny DeVito, scary. Who knew he could be scary? Terrifying. <laughs> Michael Keaton, cool as fuck. Christopher Walken, yes please. What a film. Nothing wrong with it. <laughs> Love it. Sarah Marshall. Mm-hmm. Great name. But were you annoyed when forgetting Sarah, Sarah Marshall came out? Was that a problem for you? Yes. Because I was like, God damn it. I have this whole plan for world domination. And Jason Siegel <laughs> has like beaten me to the first impression. It's trying That's to fine. get you, your name erased. Yeah. But no one forgets the name on the It's true. Well, it's funny. I was watching, I saw Men the other day. And How the, is it? I really liked it. A lot of Great. people have hated it. It met all of my needs as a horror fan. I'm excited to see it. Really, really gross finale. Yeah, it, eight out of ten from me. But the main character is named what Harper Marlowe, and I remember being like, "That's like that's such a cheesy fictional character name that they have yeah. like a recurring like RR sound." And I was like, "Sarah, you literally have that name. You are that <laughs> fictional character name." <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. Uh, speaking of horror, what's the film that scared you the most? It seems you like being scared, do you? I do. I wish I had an answer, a different answer for this question throughout my life, but it's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I saw it when I was 15 or 16, and nothing has ever come close since, and I've seen it many times, and it still works. And the original, of course. Why do you like horror films, do you think? I only ask because so many people don't. I love them. Yeah. And I think everyone's got a different take on it. Why do you like them? Yeah. So many people don't. It's funny because like I I don't really like reality TV. Like if I'm with people who are watching it or if we can become invested in like a season of a show, I get into it. But to Mm. me, it's like, you know, I get why people like it. I just don't like having my time wasted to that extent because like... It goes on for so long. They like stretch out the material so much. And like an episode of The Bachelor, I feel like is longer than most horror movies. Um, <laughs> and more horrific. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in many ways. And right. Because a lot of that creeping tension is never resolved in The Bachelor. But um, <laughs> right. And I mean, one thing is that horror movies very rarely waste your time. Like I think average horror movie length is about 80 minutes. Yeah. They get in, they get out. There's a million of them because they're not that expensive to make. So there's better odds that you're going to find something weird or experimental or that caters to your specific needs as an audience member. But that's all. That's not that persuasive. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Can you watch them on your own? Are you happy to watch them on your own? Yeah. No, I love that. And it's actually that's easier for me than watching any other kind of movie, I think, because horror, like if it's working, it's easy to stay focused. You don't want to step away and and miss something you want to it's easier for me to be submerged in that world and i think i like being scared for the same reason i like spicy food like it's a little bit counterintuitive it's like why would we like to cause pain in ourselves and yet to me the experience of eating like a really spicy dish is like 
it starts to happen and then it's happening and then you're like weeping and drinking water and you're like in the grips of the, <laughs> this overwhelming sensation that's bigger than whatever was going on for you before mm. and you're it just I think being forced to focus is part of it. I think I often yeah. have talked about how I think horror can be great for people with anxiety. It's great for me, partly because mm. it's like, and this is also why I specifically love the Final Destination movies, is that I'm always trying to sort of play three-dimensional chess to figure out how something could go horribly wrong. So it's like the movie is like, they're there. Let us do it. We'll tell you how it could go horribly wrong and we'll do a better job than you could. And then and your brain just gets a break. It's, a, it's like there's this little hamster wheel that gets to stop spinning for a couple of hours because the, the big hamster is in charge. Um, but also, I think it's probably like good for people maybe with ADHD, which I also definitely have a lot of because you just it's easier to to just be thinking about and looking at one thing and yeah, I think it's just, Brilliant. it feels like it takes me out of my brain. And like, my brain is often a like more unpleasant place to be than whatever <laughs> you know, movie than I want to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a great, that's a really good answer. I think they can serve a good purpose in the world. Although Texas Chainsaw Massacre is, is fucking horrible. I really, yeah. <laughs> it's very unpleasant. It is. It's it's so good at what it does, which is to be horrible. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Yeah. What's the film that made you cry the most? And are you a crier? I am a crier. I'm a giant crier. You're the town crier. <laughs> I am the town crier. Um, what's funny is that when I was like, this is the question that makes me think of Titanic. And yet I know that that's not the answer for me. I was one of the 75 people who saw The Fall when it was in theatrical release. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> and I was... That, and I remember going back to see it multiple times, partly because it made me cry so much. Like I was in mm. at the end of some sort of a period where like I had, there had been some kind of a blockage somehow and I hadn't cried in a really long time. And it was some sort of I still don't really couldn't really say why I haven't watched it in a long time. But it was this gigantic emotional release. Um, and it that was like my my crying movie of the of the decade mm. how would you even describe that movie yeah why that one do you think in particular i, I mean i love it but it's a yeah. very it's quite an unusual choice do you know what it was about it yeah and it's also like i struggle to even say what it was about i mean it's essentially mm. like lee pace is a silent movie actor he's i think broken his back trying to do a, a stunt so he's recovering in a hospital where he's friends with this little girl who's hanging out for reasons I forget. I think she's also there because she has a broken arm. And he starts telling her this allegorical story that, and, and this is by the director of The Cell. So it's like The Cell, mm. but with no serial killers. And yeah. so I think it was just, I don't know, I would describe it as like, just that maybe the sheer overwhelm of the visuals combined with the music, because it really prominently features Beethoven's seventh symphony mm -hmm. i think and i don't know it's just it's a great example of i think what movies can do which is just to sort of like provide this 
sensory experience that kind of runs into you like a freight train. And yeah. like, I'm sure there was stuff about the story that I connected with and had that effect on me. But I, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think I'm actually afraid to go back to it because what if it's not as effective now? And, you know, that's always a fear. Sounds like it was like the dream of it, like with a David Lynch film or something hmm. where you're just, yeah. I can't, you know, I raise a head. I have no idea. I can't tell you why it's so fucking scary. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I found that film so terrifying, and I cannot really tell you why, other than I felt absolutely scared all the way through it. Yeah, and yeah, it's just something you're fully, fully inside of. Yeah, what's a film that most people don't like? It wasn't critically acclaimed, but you love it. You don't care what they say. I mean, this is a tough one because there are a lot of movies that I love that I know are bad. Like I know Showgirls is a bad movie. We know that about it, but. <laughs> We know it's good as well, though, now, don't we? We do. Oh, yeah. It's a classic. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, there's a lot going on. Um, But, I mean, (laughs) one where I feel kind of genuinely surprised by people's reaction to um, is Flashdance, which also is a Joe Esterhaz film. And I first saw it, I think, when I was 13. So, like, kind of the perfect age to first see it. And I think there's just, like... I know the story falls apart. I know it's a symptom of like Joe Esterhaz's inability to write women um, or anyone really. And like the whole, it's just like such an absurd kind of 90 minute long music video. And yet on the other hand, it's a 90 minute long music video. <laughs> and the music's great. And yeah. She gets a bucket of water on her mask on it. I mean, it's all good stuff. There's nothing wrong it's just like they're yeah, I feel like people are left cold by it or it's become a little bit of a punchline or like I feel like people mm. don't really watch it anymore. Like people really Yeah. They still watch Dirty Dancing. I think they still watch the Goonies, but I feel like Flashdance is like iconic without being watched as much by people as other kind of mm. classics of the time. But it's just it's right. like some kind of aesthetic peak that just is beautiful to behold and just, you know, I just, I do, I I love any movie where people, like, characters walk into this movie and they don't even say hello. They just launch right into a monologue about how they did or didn't give up on their dream. <laughs> That's very good. On the other hand, what's a film that you used to love, but you've watched recently and you've gone, oh, I don't like this anymore. This yeah. is where we go. Okay. People are going to fight me on this, but I think that like The Lion King, while being beautiful and having amazing music and being so important to a generation, has a completely meaningless story. Whoa, Jesus Christ. (laughs) What is happening here? I know. (laughs) What? The story of Hamlet is meaningless? It might be. Well, yeah. (laughs) It might be. Right? One of the key features there. But I mean, but specifically, and this is partly... This is me displaying a grudge against Jeffrey Katzenberg. And I know that. And you can take it that way because that is true. But Jeffrey Katzenberg has said, like, this is a movie that was so important to him personally because it reflects his life and his experience. And I just feel like I know exactly. And I and I don't know what that's about, but I think I assume that in a generic way, it's about like having to step up and kind of step into manhood for whatever combination of reasons or about acknowledging that Michael Eisner will never love you or something. I don't know. But like, but the, I mean, the story, like Maybe his uncle killed his dad. You don't know. I don't know. Maybe that did happen to Jeffrey Katzenberg and that's why he can't launch a good streaming service. Um, That's why he can't love. But, you know, it's like, it's, there's so many wonderful elements to it. But to me, the kind of the overarching story is like, Simba has to come home and rule the Pride Lands, and he's qualified to do this because he's the protagonist. And, yeah. Well, he's also a big, strong boy. (laughs) He's become a big, strong boy, hasn't he? He's a little cub, and he's a big, strong boy. And he's a big, beautiful mane, yeah, and he's he's all grown up. But just, like, you know, it's it's part of the... One of the elephants could have done it. I feel like Nala could have done a great job. You know, she's kind. Of, she's been around this whole time. Yes, sure, she could, but did she want it? That's the problem. She, she didn't even put herself forward for it. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying we, it, it happened in a world where there wasn't the opportunity for her. 
Maybe that's the issue. Yeah, the issue maybe she is... just she wants to focus on her art. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. She could have done the job, but she never spoke up about it, and that's part of the problem with the culture of the Lion King. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's well, and also just I mean, it's a problem when you're, and this is true of a lot of Disney movies. Maybe it's not a problem. It's just it's a feature of some kind when like your most lovable, memorable character is the villain. And where we're mm. like, yeah, he's he's bad at ruling the Pride Lands, but but what a song! <laughs> yeah, banging song. He does get a banging song. Yeah. So, what is the film that means the most to you? Not because the film itself is any good, but because the experience you had watching the film always makes it special. There are a lot of choices possible for this one, but to me, the answer is Candyman. <laughs> The original. Because the original, yeah. Because when I and when I was in college, I took a a class to fulfill my credit requirement for my English major that was on vampires in film. And it was taught by a wonderful professor named Grace Dillon. And so I think we probably watched a scene from Candyman. Um and I became so fascinated by it that I then watched it and watched it again. And I remember just like feeling conscious that there was some kind of a very overt symbolism at play there and feeling like I needed like I loved how it was structured like a fairy tale in a way and I felt like I needed to sort of like I had grown up feeling that having to write about novels and stories and things was a way of ruining them and this was the Mm. first time that I felt like no like it is very important that I try and I remember writing this like like 30 page paper on Candyman just like trying to use academic language that I really couldn't couldn't use that well at the time, but just feeling like, just like I needed to express my thoughts on Candyman. And, and that, you know, I think as a direct result of that, I ended up going to grad school and I was in academia for um, literature for several years. And that's, you know, completely baked into everything that I do now. So yeah, it was Candyman all along. What a great answer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Love that film as well. Really holds up. What's really does the film you most relate to? Again, like so many things, but I, I'm thinking of a lot of kind of teenage experiences, I guess, because this is when the responses are so powerful. But I remember watching Dead Poets Society as a teenager and just having one of those like "This is me now" moments, and specifically with the josh charles character who like falls madly in love with a random girl and like bursts into her classroom to read a poem to her and is just like yes like i am going to give myself over to be completely animated by big feelings and i think that was really what i saw in myself in that movie was just sort of the teenage experience of like seeking out big feelings (laughs) because i and like i'm sure there are a lot of teenage girl characters who do that but I think they're harder to find and I think that you know until women write female characters we're gonna exist much more as like somebody to be one over or not yeah that was just that I was that felt like a model for uh Josh Charles. feeling fully yeah I am Josh Charles <laughs> I can see that I totally get that what's the sexiest film ever made Sarah Marshall so this is one I just saw recently um I think it's the age of innocence oh <laughs> good answer and just like because many things are sexy but I think that it's extremely sexy for two people to just be like wanting each other for decades and to not be able to ever extinguish that flame and you've got Michelle Pfeiffer, so you've won you've won the battle already. Yeah. It's a great film that. Just undress her hand. Just take it yeah, you undress her hand and her foot? Does he undress her foot? Or have I made that? Is it just her hand? I can't remember. But guess her I remember the guess hand. Her, <laughs> guess her guess her lovely hand out. It's also that film's got such a good twist at the end. Yeah. Great film. There's a subcategory to this question, Sarah Marshall. Yeah. We don't know each other that well, but I'm afraid here we are. Troubling boners, worrying wide-ons. A film you found arousing that you weren't sure you should have. Okay, so I can't be the only one here, but I think that 
uh, Bill Paxton's character in Near Dark is a hot, hot hottie. And every like every time he does anything, which is mostly being a vampire, I just am he's I'm so attracted to that character and he would just immediately drink my blood. And without any like poetry about it either, he would just go for no, it. No just challenging it. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say Bill Paxton in Weird Science, and I was gonna be like, Yeah, that is trouble. Oh yeah. God. <laughs> Yeah. Shit. Yes. Not so much. A little bit in aliens. He's got some charm in aliens. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lovely. You could absolutely have that. Um, <laughs> Sarah Marshall. Objectively, mm-hmm. what is the greatest film of all time? Might not be your favorite, but it's the pinnacle full film. If I'm going to make it easy for myself, I'll say greatest of all time horror category, great returns on minimal budget category. I would say the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it is this incredible act of alchemy where like just all these young people who didn't really know what they were doing came together and made Mm. incredible art. Um, Gosh, best of all time. You know what? Okay, I'm going to say Paris, Texas, and that's just a complete... I'm just just going for it. There are a million reasons why I could second guess that. But like, yeah, I'm going to say Paris, Texas. Why Paris, Texas for you? I think because it's a Western in a way, which if we're talking about kind of greatest American film, which is kind of the only thing I can speak on. It's like honoring and subverting that tradition. It's not done by an American director. And so you can kind of fully see all the way around all the corners, I think, of what the Western is and see Mm. it a little bit more objectively. It's about men and love and intimacy and sort of family falling apart and coming together. Um, It's beautiful. It has beautiful music. It's put together in a way that makes it more than the sum of its parts. And I think it's also just it sort of Like, I think maybe the kind of pinnacle for me, and you can get this a lot of different ways, is just to be fully immersed and to have that experience, whether you can see it in a theater or not, but the kind of that, to me, kind of (laughs) highest high point of movie going experience of like, the lights come up and you're like, where am I? Mm. Who am I? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's just fully disorienting in that way. Like you come back into your body at the end and you feel, yeah, it's the pursuit of big feelings, I guess. Love it. What is the film that you could or have watched the most over and over again? Sarah Marshall. I think it's probably Aaron Brockovich because that's been my feel good movie for like 10 years. Yeah, I've watched Ah. it probably 50 times. That's a nice one. Yeah. I watched that in years. You know, what I always remember about that is how how bloody classy the <laughs> end of the trial is. That you don't get this big courtroom thing. You just yeah. have her telling one person. Is that right? I do Jen love that. Woman. Yeah, yeah. It's they they go to that. the person it all started with, and yeah. and Aaron Eckhart gets to be like, okay, I guess I do see like something important was happening while I was babysitting. <laughs> yeah. Ah, what a nice answer. What's the We don't like to be negative, Sarah Marshall. (laughs) What's the worst film you've ever seen? Okay. High Tension, the French horror movie. Have you seen that one? Haute Tension. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, What is it? I don't think I have seen it and I've forgotten what it is. Tell me what it is. Yeah. All right. I'm going to, this is spoilers. Um, So it's like these two French girls, actually one of them is American, but whatever. And they're going to the one of the girls family house for a weekend or something and then this trucker shows up the scary trucker rapist guy and he kills the family and he's chasing the girls and like the friend who's the main character is like chasing after him she's gonna take him down and she's going to save her friend. And then the twist reveal at the end is that she was the trucker the entire time. It's like Nicolas Cage's stupid what? script and adaptation. Yes, that she was also the trucker and she killed everyone. And she's a crazy and evil because she's a lesbian. And this movie uh. came out like we watched it when I was in college. And I think it was pretty recent. So I think it came out in the early 2000s. And it's just like it's like. 
Like the tw- it's like a full whammy. Like the twist is really stupid. It invalidates everything you've experienced, and it's really homophobic. Wow. Very yeah, bad. Do not watch. <laughs> okay. Fuck. Um, I won't watch that. Great title. Yeah. High tension. Highly offensive. What is <laughs> the funniest film? What's the film that made you laugh the most? <sighs> this one is like. This is hard. This was the hardest one for me to think of for some reason. And I feel like I like I have to assume that it's Mrs. Doubtfire. Like just thinking about like the the years of it being funny for me and kind of the thing that I've most like the Robin Williams movie that I watched the most. I was thinking about it and like this one is the hardest to remember, but I was like it's probably a Robin Williams movie. And so that makes me eliminate it down to Mrs. Doubtfire. I haven't watched it in many, many years. Does it hold up? Does it have any, is it fine? I think, in, I mean, it. yeah, it definitely does. Like in some ways you're like, oh no. Um, <laughs> mainly like the, like the oldest kid's reaction when he like finds Mrs. Doubtfire peeing standing up. Like that, I think has aged especially badly that moment but like to me in general like and I feel the same way about Tootsie and I think people you know there's probably like a a whole big range of opinions on this but I feel like they're both movies about like men having to live as women making them better men which I think Mm -hmm. like seems true as a concept and probably would be true for for anybody (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, the, the, the concept makes sense Sarah Marshall you have been excellent. However, <laughs> when you were at Minnesota Airport next week, yeah. and it wasn't that busy and you weren't that stressed, and for an airport experience, you actually have a quite a nice time, and um, you got through, you know, the security bit, you got through the worst bit, and you were, like, about to relax. There was a whole row of chairs available for you to sit on. Air conditioning was set just right, and you thought, you know what? You know what? This needs gummy worms. And you went to the machine... And you had enough coins, you put the coins in, and then the gummy worms, the rotating thing, just rotated a bit, and the gummy worms fell, but just against the glass, stayed up top. And you were like, oh, fuck. And so you started, like, shaking it a bit. It was very heavy. People were looking at you, and you are like, don't mind me. I'm happy-go-lucky. And you were shaking it, <laughs> shaking it. You were shaking it, and you were like, I'm in love with an abusive driving, driving instructor <laughs> who's sad. And they said, okay, she seems fine. And then you... Shook it so hard, you shook it one way, you shook it the other way. But it was very heavy, this vending machine. It was filled with gold. And <laughs> it fell onto you backwards. You landed on the ground. The machine went straight onto you. It crushed all your internal organs and your outer organs and your yeah. face and your skull and most of your bones. All the people that were sat around on the other chairs were like, Jesus Christ, that was a shock. And then as an announcement came on and said, the flight leaving for uh, New York is leaving now. And they went, oh, well, we should probably get our, get our plane in. So most people left. And I was walking past with a coffin, which I just got through security, which surprised me because it was filled with drugs. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I emptied the drugs. I was like, oh, here she is. I, I lift up. I get some security guys. I get one of them cars. We lift up the vending machine. And you are, you're almost liquid. The good news is it doesn't look like you spend a lot of time dying. It feels like it happened pretty quick. But I have to get a Hoover, uh, an industrial sort of vacuum, suck up all all the pulp and there are just little bits left over you. There's a lot of goo, if I may. No disrespect, but that's what it it feels like. And then I pump it all into the coffee. That's what I am, really. Yeah, it's the big pile of goo. It's a load of goo. Lovely goo. Nothing wrong with it. We're all made of it. (laughs) <laughs> pop the goo into the coffin and it's full it's like a swimming pool in there swimming pool of goo a mm. goo pool goo coffin there's really no room in this coffin now there's only enough room to put one dvd <laughs> slip it in the side of the goo let it float on top and for you to take across to the other side and on the mm. other side there's movie night every night what film are you taking to show the celluloid creatures of heaven when it is wow. your movie night sarah marshall so I just saw this the other day for the first time uh, in a movie theater that was showing it for one night. I would bring Tampopo, 
because Ooh. I think that it would appeal like I would enjoy watching it many times in eternity. And also, I feel like it's like the, exactly the sense of humor that people in heaven would probably have or various parts of the afterworld. That's a fancy answer. Yeah, that is Lovely. a fancy answer. <laughs> so nice to have a couple of fancy films up there. Sarah Marshall, we shall not forget you. Is there anything you would like to tell anyone to look out for or listen to hmm. other than your incredible You're Wrong About podcast, which I highly recommend? Yeah, I, I'm fond of it. I recommend that show. And then I have another show, You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies, which you should come on anytime. Um, but we would only talk about one movie as opposed to many movies. But yeah. Which movie? What I don't know, but it's uh, I mean, we try and go seasonally with our picks, but it's the same. I don't know. I think our focus is like, like, we probably wouldn't do Tampopo, that would probably be too, like, not sort of widely known enough by people already. So, we I think we do a lot of movies that like people already like but maybe don't feel like they have reasons for liking, and we're like, here's why you like this movie, and try and you know, have on somebody to talk about something that they love. I think like when I, I don't really know when I doubt everything about what I'm doing, I always remember that like I'm making tones among other stuff. And if you can hear people talking for an hour about something they care about and something they love, and it isn't like related to white supremacy, then like you're putting mm. in, you're putting good tones out there. It's like reverse pollution. Um, yes. Yeah, I so had, I recommend that I too. I really believe that. That's great. That's great. Yeah, all right. Well, thank you, Sarah Marshall. You've been brilliant. Thank you. Um, thank you for your time. And I hope you have a wonderful death. And um, see you soon. Take care. <laughs> see you at the movies. <laughs> see you there. So that was episode 209. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra chat, secrets, video, Openings, closings, the lot. It's all there. You'll love it. Patreon.com forward slash Brett Gold's team. Thank you so much to Sarah for giving me her time. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to ACAST for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the photography. Come and join me next week for another banger guest. But that is it for now. In the meantime, I hope you're all well. Thank you for listening. I hope things are good with you all. Have a lovely week. And please, now more than ever, be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.